So here's where we're at today. On Sunday mornings, we're starting a new series out of the Beatitudes. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, um, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. If you want one of those Bibles with pages and, and words on it, there's some on either side of the room. You can jump up and grab one of those. If not, get your phones out and your Bible apps open. And if you don't um, have that Bible app, download that Bible app. And even in that setting, in the events, under events, you can find Crestview. So that if you're, you're not here on a Sunday morning, maybe it's a Sunday morning you're missing, you can still follow along with what we're doing. On that Bible app under events with Crestview, you can see the passages that we're using that morning. There's announcements to go along with it. There's a way to give through that. There's other things that we can use um, with that. So utilize that with us. Matthew chapter 5. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is getting ready to stand up and give the best sermon he's ever given um, and he starts off with these things called the Beatitudes. Now, they're also, there's a few of them listed in Luke chapter 6. That's more of the blessings and woes that we see there that we see in other places. Matthew gives us a bigger list of the Beatitudes and what Jesus teaches. Now, here at Crestview on Sunday mornings, we're not going to look at them in order. We're not just going to take one and go one at a time over the next few weeks. We're not going to look at them in order from beginning to end, the way they're taught. We're going to look at them in a practical way for our lives. So this morning we're jumping in and talking about who we are. And we're going to have some categories of the ones that talk about who we are. We're going to talk about what we do. Mercy, grace, or sorry, peace. Mercy, we show peace to each other. This is what we do. Um, We're going to talk about what we feel. One week is about how we feel. We, we mourn, that's a feeling. We hunger and thirst for righteousness, that feeling that comes out of us. And then we're going to talk about what we endure. Persecution is what Jesus talks about. And if we stick with this, there's persecution that's probably going to come our way. How do we endure through that? But this one today, who we are, so where we're going today, this teaching from Jesus was kind of a shock to many of the people that were listening. They had been taught for years that what they do on a day-to-day basis, was the most important thing. They were focused on their actions, their rituals, their traditions. They were concerned about the letter of the law, not about the person behind it. This was their thinking. What you do tells me who you are. I can see who you are by what you do. That, that's first. But I know that's not true because you fake it often. I know some of you, and I know me, and I'm good at it. We can fake our way through that, so that's not always true. But Jesus comes along, and he kind of twists it just a little bit. He, He turns it upside down. The objective is different. He says, I care more about you than what you do. I care more about you than what you've ever done in the past. Jesus knew this, and he understood it this way, that who you are determines in what you do. It's going to come out of you at some point, and you can't hide it, and you can't fake it. Who you are is the most important. So the blessing that we get from from this life, from Christ, the blessing of being a Christ follower in this life is more than material possessions. It's more than just good luck in life and winning in that. We're not just seeking after a happy life. We're looking after true blessings in life. A guy by the name of Glenn Packiam, he wrote a book called Blessed, Broken, Given. And in that book, I think he describes it the best. So I want to give him the credit here and read part of his book to you. Um, He says it this way. 
There will be days when things don't work out as you had planned. There's sometimes trouble will come because of your obedience to Christ. Sometimes trouble will come in spite of it. But the truth is we are blessed even when our lives are not Instagram worthy. We are blessed even when our lives don't appear to look like someone else's blessed life. We are blessed even when it seems everything in our lives are falling apart because being blessed spiritually is deeper, richer, and more fulfilling than being blessed in this world. Being blessed in this world is about the superficial and the circumstantial. Being blessed the way the scriptures describe it is about something more, something that has to do with the very core of who we are and how we are made. So let's jump into these Beatitudes. The first one here, our objective is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, that's our goal. That's our objective, to be poor in spirit. But when I hear the word poor, I automatically think finances. Do you as well? Is that something that just jumps in there? Money. Um, That's what I think of when I think of the word poor. My grandpa had a phrase that he always said, he was poor but happy. It was true. He was a poor man, but he was a happy man. It it was good with that. Um, If you don't have money, we consider you to be poor. Now, how do you become poor financially? Because I think it makes some connections here for us. Financially, when we think about it this way, how do you become poor? There's many different ways. You could just be lazy. (laughs) If you're lazy and you don't want to work, and no one's going to pay you anything, so you would be poor because you're lazy and you're not willing to work. That's one way. You could be poor because of bad luck. I wasn't born in the right family. Because of that, I don't have much resources. And it's bad luck that got you there. Bad decisions. You made a lot of dumb decisions with your finances, and now you don't have much. So you're poor. Or maybe this one. You could give it away. I have seen where people give a lot of their money away, and they are poor now because they give most of it away. No matter how much you have, though, There's always times that we feel poor, like we could use some more and we want more of that. And to get there, we could get a job, we could earn some money, we could get lucky, win the lottery, maybe if you play that. There's ways that you could overcome it. But that's not what Jesus is talking about, and you know it. He's not talking about being poor financially. He actually says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So spiritually, how do we become poor? Is it because you're lazy? I don't like reading my Bible. I don't want to pray. Oh, good, I'm poor spiritually. No, that's not how you become poor spiritually. It doesn't equal the same. Is it because you have bad luck? I'm just not a lucky Christian, I guess, and spiritually I don't have much. No, that's not it. Bad decisions? Oh, man, I'm a really bad sinner. I've made a lot of dumb decisions in life, therefore I'm poor spiritually. Huh? It doesn't equate over, but yet this last one does. To give it away. In fact, I think that's what he's asking us to do. To give up our spirituality so that he can fill us up. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about two men that were headed to um, the temple. They were going in to pray. And one of them was a Pharisee. And he was so excited to go pray. He wanted everyone to know that he was going to pray. He didn't even make it into the temple. He stood on the top step of the temple right outside. And he stretched his arms out. And he made sure he prayed loud enough for everyone to hear him. And he was so thankful to God how much God had blessed him and how awesome he was. And God did such a great job creating him, blessing him, and everything that he had. He was so grateful to God for it. And he was so glad he wasn't like that guy. 
the sinner, the tax collector that came as well to pray. When that tax collector came to pray, he didn't make it in the temple either because he didn't feel worthy. So I'm not worthy to even come in. And his prayer was a little different. His prayer went more like this, God, show me some mercy. I'm such a sinner. I'm not even worthy of going in. Give me some mercy. And then Jesus follows up, verse 14 of Luke 18. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The poor in spirit, it's more about the reliance of God in your life than the reliance in yourself. It's about saying, I can't do it. I can't be spiritual enough, so I give it up and I'm letting God be my spiritual backing, my support. John Calvin, he said it this way, he only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to give up your spirit, even yourself. It's to say that I'm not worthy, I'm a sinner, and I need the mercy of God. If I'm going to mount to anything, and this sets in contrast to much of the self-help, motivational speakers or talks today that you might hear, conferences that you might go to, books that you might read, it, it goes completely opposite of that. And it's not about how much you can do to dig deeper, to strive for more, to do it yourself. It's to say, give it up, to be poor in spirit to say, I'm going to give it away and let God fill me up with his spirit. That's our objective, to be poor in spirit. Here's another one. Blessed are the meek. The meek. How many of you used the word meek yesterday? (laughs) Is that something we all use, you know, very often? No, meek is not a word that we use in our everyday language. So what is this word? How do we see this? Really, it's a combination of two words, humbleness and gentleness. If you find somebody that's humble and gentle at the same time, that's a meek person. That's someone who is meek. Meekness, a calm temper of mind, not easily provoked. Um, Jesus put it this way, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That's where you're going to find rest for your souls. And the gentleness and the humbleness of Jesus is where we find that his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and we can follow that. A person who is meek says they're sorry when they're wrong because they know what it's like to be injured. A meek person admits fault when they fail because they know what it's like to disappoint or to be disappointed. A person who is meek is thoughtful about feelings because they also know their own feelings. A person who is meek um, is kind to those who's in need because they know what it's like to be without. A person who is meek is someone who recognizes that they have something to learn from anyone even those who appear less skilled, less intelligent, less experienced than themselves, because they know they have limitations. Our objective is humbleness, gentleness, meekness. Here's the last one that we're looking at today. The objective, blessed are the pure in heart. This really cuts down to it. This is really it. Um, It's really who you are in your soul, in your heart. And this is not about your actions. This is not about being obedient because we all make mistakes. We've all been there. We're all going to be there again. We're sinners. But what comes out of your heart? 
What are your motives in this? Maybe you have sinned and you've sinned against somebody else and you've gone to them and you've asked for their forgiveness. Maybe you've sinned against God and you've gone to God and you've asked for his forgiveness and he has given it to you. He's forgiven you. But have you gone to the next step? Don't just ask for forgiveness. Ask for a pure heart so that you don't get back in that situation again. The psalmist said it this way, 51.10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Because we know the teachings of Jesus, that out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. Don't just control my tongue. Give me a pure heart so that I don't have to control my tongue. So that what comes out of me is what's in my heart. This quote um, that I'm going to say to you is a quote that I picked up in high school, and I've carried it for years. I'm not always the best at it, but yet it's something that stuck with me. It's this, I don't know who said it. Um, who you are screams so loud that I can't hear what you're saying. Who you are is so loud that even when you talk to me, I can't hear what you're saying because that's what you're speaking to me. And the people of this time, they put a lot of stress on their outward actions. The washing of their hands, the washing of their feet, um, the food that they ate, the, how they worshiped. They were more concerned about how they worshipped than who they were worshipping. That was more important to them. And Jesus came along and he said to them in Matthew chapter 23, um, he he used it this way, he called them a bunch of hypocrites. And then he used uh, everyday illustration. He took a cup and he said, this cup, I mean, think about this cup. Some of you just want to wash the outside of, of the cup and think that it's clean, but yet you haven't done anything in the cup and it's dirty and then you pour stuff in it and you want to drink out of a dirty cup that's gross don't do that he says clean the inside of the cup and guess what when you do the outside of the cup is going to be clean too and jesus is telling us this clean the inside of you and you won't have to worry about the outside it will just happen who you are matters. So here's the rewards, all right? Let's jump back and let's look at this list again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's our reward, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. This is an amazing thing. I love the connection that Jesus makes here, the difference and the contrast between poor and kingdom. Do you know any poor kings? <laughs> if you're a king over something, your kingdom, you're rich, And so he makes this connection between poor in spirit and the kingdom of heaven. Because kings are rich and this kingdom is an amazing thing. The rule of God being part of the kingdom of God brings us riches beyond what we can know. So here's the things that I do know and understand. I believe that I have a relationship with Jesus right now. I believe that I do and I know that you can as well. Many of you do. I know that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with him. And I also know that I need to be poor in spirit, which means I need to get out of the way. (laughs) I need to get my spirit out of the way and let God's spirit live through me now as I prepare for that kingdom in heaven someday. Here's the next one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I like this connection as well. There's a contrast with this. The humble who would never ask for the inheritance, who would never seek out the inheritance, who would never wonder when the inheritance was coming because they're humble enough not to ask for it. They're the ones that are going to inherit it. The humbleness of waiting for the inheritance to come. He says we're going to inherit the earth. 
Psalm 24.1, the psalmist speaks of this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Jesus said, we are going to inherit the earth. But really, who wants it? <laughs> I mean, stop and think about it. Pollution, global warming, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, terrorism, plastic straws. I mean, who, <laughs> who wants this? And think about the inheritance taxes. Um, If we inherited the earth, this government would tax us. We wouldn't be able to afford it. Um, So why would we want? Remember, this is spiritual. This is not physical. So what does he mean? And I believe to understand the meaning of what Jesus is talking about, we have to go to Revelation. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is not an ownership like we think of ownership or what we think of inheritance. I think it's like a partnership. It's a participation thing. I get to participate in the new earth with God. An inheritance usually happens when someone passes away. Someone dies and they give you all their stuff, right? Or portions of it. And you get all the stuff now because they're gone. However, this inheritance, it's not like that. We get to live with what we inherited with the one who gave it to us. It's a, it's a partnership. It's a combination together. We are going to be in heaven and the new earth with God. That's an amazing thing. Which leads us to the last one here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We get to see God. No one has ever seen God. John 1.18 reminds us of that. No one has ever seen God. None of us, no one ever has. And to me, this is my own opinion. You can have your own on this. This is my deal. I think this is the best part of heaven. It's got to be. Streets of gold, that's going to be pretty cool. My own mansion, I'm looking forward to that. Crystal lakes, can you imagine the fish that are swimming in the crystal lakes in heaven? It's going to be awesome. But to finally see God... To meet the creator. First Corinthians reminds us of this. Now we see but a poor reflection like in a mirror. We we haven't seen God yet. Poor reflection of him. Then we're going to see him face to face. We're going to be right there. Now I know in part. Then I'm going to know him fully. Even as he knows me fully, I'm going to know God. And that's motivation. But really the motivation of the Beatitudes shouldn't be the rewards I shouldn't want to be pure in heart because I get to see God someday, although that is motivation. But we don't get these things right now. This is the tough part about it. Look at this list. Kingdom of heaven, inherit the earth, see God. None of us have ever done it. None of us are going to do that in this lifetime. You actually have to die before that happens. So you can't do it here. This is all futuristic stuff. This is something that's happening in the future. We can't do this now. So I want to, sh- I want to um, share this story with you. I want to close with this concept and this idea, this story of delayed gratification. Because I think it speaks directly to the Beatitudes and what we're learning today. Mark Batterson, in his latest book, Play the Man, he writes about this and talks about this concept of delayed gratification, and he goes back to some research. He says, in 1972, um, a Stanford psychologist by the name of Walter Mitchell did a bunch of um, tests, his studies on delayed gratification. They became, the, these tests became very popular in the academic world, outside of the academic community. Um, some of you may have read about this test already. 
Daniel Gold, Goldman, um, in his book Emotional Intelligence, wrote about this probably first and, and the most, and it's called The Marshmallow Test. I don't know if you guys know about this test. It was first done um, in, a, in a school, the Bing Nursery School, with children ages four to six. They brought these children in, one at a time, and set them down at a table, and in front of them, they offered them one marshmallow on a plate. And they said to these students, here's your marshmallow, you can have it, this is yours, you can eat it whenever you want, this is your marshmallow, but I have to leave for just a few minutes. And when I leave for a few minutes, if you wait and you don't eat that marshmallow right now, when I come back, I'll give you two. You can have two marshmallows if you resist and you don't eat this one, but this is yours. You can have it and you can eat it. But if I come back and you've eaten it, then that's it. You only get the one, but if I come back, you get two. Here's the funny thing. The researchers would leave the room and some kids dove in. They jumped in, they grabbed that marshmallow, they ate that marshmallow first thing. That's what they did. No resistance at all. However, some other kids, man, they tried really hard. They struggled through this temptation. Some of them covered their eyes, some of them played games, some of them sang songs, um, some of them tried to sleep through the process just to make it go, the time go faster. The objective of the experiment was to see if their ability to defer gratification um, was there in the face of temptation. And then they tracked these um, kids to their long-term academic achievements through high school, into college, into adulthood and life. They watched 216 kids that were a part of this experiment and they tracked them all the way through to see the results. Researchers found a dramatic difference between the one marshmallow kids and the two marshmallow kids. The kids who exhibited the ability to delay gratification longer were more academically accomplished throughout their schooling. They scored higher on average than the one marshmallow kids in all of their tests. The marshmallow test was twice as powerful as an indicator of academic success than their IQ. And it wasn't just academic differences. They found that the two marshmallow kids later in life were socially more competent. They marked differences, uh, very marked differences in self-reliance and self-confidence. They took more initiative. They handled pressure more effectively. Um, And then in follow-up, years later, Even into their 40s, as they watched these kids, researchers have found that the two marshmallow kids had higher incomes, stronger marriages, and happier careers. So what am I trying to teach you here this morning? Don't eat marshmallows. Come on, people. Don't eat the marshmallows. Just let them be. No, it's not. Um, Delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. There's something to that. It's so important. Walter Mitchell, in his conclusion, he wrote it this way. He said, goal-directed, self-imposed delay of gratification is one of the most powerful predictors of future success. Now, there has been new research done. They redid this test a few years ago, um, and they started to watch. They added more kids to it, so there was a larger, more diverse group of kids. They figured in socioeconomics, and they studied the kids even before they came in for the test to find out which ones were most likely to eat the marshmallow or wait for the marshmallow, and they put a lot of um, work into that. The bottom line and the results still tell a true outcome. Whether you go after a goal or you're trying to break a habit, you need self-control. 
And in my understanding, for where I'm standing from as your pastor and as understanding what Jesus teaches us, much of that is, has to be supernatural. We can't do it. I, I, I can't do it. I, I cannot create in me a pure heart. That can only come from my acceptance and belief in what Jesus gives me. I can't do that. I have to rely on something else, meaning then I have to give up my spirit and let the spirit of God live in me. That's the only way that I can make it through this. Um, in fact, there, there might be a reason, in my understanding, why it's the very last of the nine fruits of the Spirit. Um, self-control, it's at the bottom of the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, then finally self-control. It's hard. And I don't know that we can do it. The idea of delayed gratification, though, you've got to make some short-term sacrifices if you want to reach long-term goals. And I think Jesus is, is teaching us this profound understanding. You don't even have to be a believer in Jesus to, to get this, to understand it. But I have found that when I cultivate self-discipline in one part of my life, it carries over to other parts of my life. When I work on self-discipline in one area, it helps me to understand it in this area and this area in this area as well. So I see it this way. Humility plus purity equals potential. Humility. I can't do it. I have to become poor in spirit. Plus purity, the purity of heart, the meekness that comes along with it equals the potential that can be there. And if you stay humble and you stay pure, there's nothing God cannot do in you or through you. So hear it this way as well. If you do the little things like they're big things, God will do big things like they're little things. If you do little things like they're big things and you, you worry about those little details, those little things in life, God will do big things like they're nothing because he's God and he can. And I trust, I believe that all of us here today, all of us want God to do something amazing in our lives. But that's not our job. You don't have to do amazing things. In fact, you can't do amazing things. Your job is to consecrate yourself. Your job is to surrender yourselves, to give up on yourself in that and let Christ live through you and let him do his job. Our job is to become poor, to be meek, to be humble, to be pure and let God do his job. And if we consecrate ourselves, he will do amazing things through us. You don't have to seek out opportunity. Seek God and he'll bring you opportunities. It, it, this is not about believing in yourself and thinking positive thoughts. Don't believe that when it's taught to you. Follow what Jesus teaches. Resolve in your heart to do the right thing. The purity of heart. The resolve to say, I need to be poor in my spirit so that God can live through me. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's a familiar verse. Many of you know it. And I don't think it's just an Old Testament promise. It's something for us even today. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. This is for us. So here's my challenge for you. Over the next three weeks, um, during this series, this four-part series, so today and then the next three Sundays, now through August, um, this, this series is going to end on September 1st, Labor Day weekend. 
what can God do in 21 days? If you were to practice this, if you were to try to do this, I'm going to ask you every day to pray through these things, to pray through these beatitudes, to try and understand what is going on. This week, concentrate on these, think about these things. How do you do this so that God can live through you? And then I'm going to challenge you as well. Those things that I mentioned at the beginning of what is going on here at this church, pray for our building project. Please, every day, somewhere in this, jump on this list somehow for our building, for our loan process that's going on. Pray for our our campaign, the resources that, that we're raising behind this, that God can bless us. Pray for our rooted groups that are getting started here in the next month. Pray that you join one of these groups and God leads you to the right group. Pray for this thing called Intentional Churches that's coming to Crestview and um, the, the leadership, the staff, that what we're going to learn and how they're going to keep us focused. Pray for us through this. Pray for our ministries, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our men's and women's ministry. Pray for Sunday mornings that when we come, we don't get lost in how we worship, but that we get lost in the one who we are worshiping. Pray for your friends by name. Who is not here that you know needs to understand who this Jesus is? Pray for them by name that maybe they will join you and then invite them. Pray for some baptisms to happen. We have one here in just a few minutes. We're going to have a baptism here this morning. I'm excited. There's something special with that. Who else do you know that needs to take that step and make that decision? Pray for some baptisms to happen. And pray that as we step out of the way and we become humble and meek and pure in our hearts, that God is living through us and others want something like that. Let's start right now as we pray. Father, I'm grateful for your son. I'm grateful that um, he's the one that we're striving after, that he's the one that set this example and gave us um, these blessings. May we understand them correctly that we're not just striving to get the blessing, but we're striving to understand the objective behind it, why we're doing this. God, teach us and lead us through this. Help us as we grow this direction. God, I pray for this church as well. Bring others to us so that they also can come to know you. And as we grow, help us to remain focused on that, our mission, which is just to walk closer with you to be in a growing relationship with you. God, I lift this church up to you and ask that you bless. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.